a difficult place to be before the Lord sometimes is a, a passage in Scripture that sounds really familiar to us. I don't know if you do this, but sometimes when I get to the places in my devotions that I know well, it's easier just to kind of say, oh, I've heard that before. I'll just turn the page or I, uh, I, I won't stop. And, and really let that, it's easier just to kind of go past. And you kind of feel that struggle. And we're in that territory today. If you are new to Christianity or if you're uh, watching uh, from home and you're new to verses like this, then praise the Lord. Uh, it is amazing truth. And I hope that it engages you and grabs your heart and helps you to understand what it is to have a relationship with Jesus. We have that in our heart. We have that as our, part of our desire as a church. But uh, for those of us that have uh, been through Ephesians 2, a time or, or two in our lives, uh, we would pray uh, that today would not just be another time through. Wouldn't just be another thing. Oh, grace and salvation and faith and gift and and we know all these things, so I pray that the Lord will uh, help us today in a, in a special way and allow us that time to engage our hearts in something that, even though it may be familiar, should be impacting uh, our lives greatly. So the first thing we'll cover in our outline today is how we are saved. You notice the title that I have for this today is Trust and obey, and the very first part of the outline is going to help us think about what it means to trust God, how we are saved. We find out in verse 8, as you see it right there, we find out that we are saved by grace through faith. For by grace you have been saved through faith. I want to challenge just a little bit. I want to refine this term in our minds, uh, give it a little bit of work, telling the soil this morning. I want you to think about what faith is. Biblical faith. Not just faith that I'm going to wake up tomorrow or that I'm going to have a meal today, but biblical faith. I want to show you a couple examples where the very word that is used here in Ephesians 2 uh, is used. A couple examples from Matthew's Gospel, uh, chapter 8, verse 10. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. This is the story of the faith of the centurion who had a servant who was ill and came to Jesus, and the guy says, Well, I'm sure you're busy, Jesus. So why don't you just say the word and I believe that my servant will be healed. You don't have to waste your time coming to my house. Just I believe if you say the word, it'll happen. And this is how Jesus responds. We also see in Matthew 9, 22, Jesus turned and seeing her, he said, take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. And instantly the woman was made well. This is a woman who had suffered with a medical condition that nobody could figure out for a number of years. And she knew that Jesus was coming through. And she just wanted to touch the hem. She just wanted to get a hold of his garment because she believed there was power. She had faith that she was healed. And in both of these healings, I want us to understand how we see faith, how we see this word. What it does is it believes that something is possible that would not otherwise be possible. 
the centurion was not capable of healing his servant. This woman and no doctor who had seen her for, I think, about a decade could figure out anything about what was wrong with her and fix it. So when these two individuals come to Jesus in faith, they believe in faith, they believe something is possible that otherwise, in their experience, is not possible. And I don't want us to skip by this when it comes to our salvation. This word is being used in a way in understanding a relationship with God that it would not be possible without faith. We are prevented from approaching a relationship with God by thinking that we can attain it by our own merit. It's not like we're trying to take a test and we think we put enough work in and we've studied enough and we stayed up late and I, I think I can get a B. That's better than a C or a D or an F and maybe I'll get into heaven because I got a B. It's not the way it works. What it is is it admits that being saved is impossible and it won't happen without something happening to make it possible. That's where faith comes in and it's why grace is so important we all like free i like free do you like free <laughs> all right somebody's going for free for free for free for free <laughs> all right free there's a couple kinds of free all right there's the the ad in the store that it's kind of free but not really right it says buy one and get one free well, it's not really free. You've got to buy something. I remember when I was in college, and there was a guy in the thing where all the students would come to get food, and he's, they're signing people up for credit card, right? And you would free T-shirt, right, if I give you all my information, and you sucker me into this credit card, and I'm young and irresponsible, and I blow all my money. Sure, you'll give me a free T-shirt. Ugh. Well, that's one way to understand free is it's kind of free, but not really. It comes with a little bit of a glitch. Then there's really free. Somebody just gives you something. Grace is totally free, and it does not come with an exchange. I want us to be careful on this. I want to be totally clear. I don't want to be sloppy with how this works because you know the rest of the verses. You know we're going to get into, well, the title of the sermon is Trust and Obey. So you know we're going to get into obedience and you know that we're going to get into all this stuff. But God does not make the offer of salvation by grace, free through faith, believing something is possible that would otherwise be impossible based on how well he thinks we're going to obey. The, the offer of salvation through Jesus, the Son of God, who died for our sins in the place where we should have taken that punishment, is free. Meaning there is no way that we can earn it. So, we are saved by grace through faith. Also, in verse 8, it says, This is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. So we are saved by grace through faith, and by receiving a gift. Who in here likes collectibles? I have a wide range of vision, and I saw Luke's hand go up. Luke, come on up here. I have a collectible in my back pocket, and I'm going to give you a gift. Now, I don't know what the value of this gift is. Hang on just a minute. 
might have to get close enough to you to do this. So I'm going to put my mask on, and I'm going to give you this gift. You know who that is? Okay, so it's Clint Frazier. I had a baseball card of Clint Frazier, and what is on there? Okay, it's an autograph, and it's up at the top. I think there are some numbers, is that right? Let me see. Yeah, the numbers are at the bottom. Okay, so he only signed a certain number of those. Now, let me ask you this. Do you want that gift? You do? Well, then turn around and go back to your seat. You can have it. All right, thank you, Luke. So, I can take this off now. Luke got a gift. And I hope his parents don't hate me right now. <laughs> we'll settle that later if you do. I didn't just bring an off piece of candy. I brought something that has, I don't even know what that's worth, but it's probably worth something, okay? And uh, it's got some special things about it that make it have some value. And so it's got some value. And I, I wanted that to be a part of the illustration because um, that's generally what a gift is. Sometimes you give a gift to somebody and you're like, eh, I don't really know these people. I kind of, they haven't been around for a while. They kind of invited me to their wedding or I don't really know what to do. So I'm just going to throw a little bit. And we'll give a gift in that sense. But when we really mean it, we want a gift to have some value. Now, the other thing that I want you to notice about my exchange with Luke this morning is that Luke had a decision at the end. I asked him, do you want the gift? Do you, do you are going to take it or are you going to keep it? And he said, yes. And so it's a really easy question for us to ask ourselves, have you ever received a gift? It's another question to say, have you ever rejected a gift? I hope this is sinking in today because what, what God is communicating in Ephesians 2, 8 is that we are saved by something that is totally free, has way more value than Clint Frazier, let me tell you. <laughs> All right? Way more value and is a gift of God. That's how we're saved. In chapter 1, 19, it, it describes the, the greatness of the power of God toward us who believe. And he says that power, he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead in verse 20. And then Ephesians 2, 6, we saw this last week, that he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So in chapter 1, we see God raising Jesus from the dead by great power and raising him far above all authority in the heavenly places. And in chapter 2, we see God raising us up by great power and to be in the heavenly places with Jesus. That is an amazing gift of great power power. The question is, do we receive the gift or do we reject the gift? It is designed that we would receive the gift humbly. Verse 9, not as not a result of works so that no one may boast. Do you ever have that friend? Uh, a couple of you here are junior high, high school. 
You ever have that friend who in uh, elementary school or junior high got some things for Christmas or their birthday, and they really were like sure to let you know about it? Hey, guess what I got? No, like, guess what your parents bought you? <laughs> it's not about you. It's what your parents did for your birthday. It make you feel special. But it would get a little annoying. You're like, okay, we're just kids. This isn't how we're supposed to receive the gift of salvation. The gift of salvation, faith, believing that something is possible that otherwise would not be possible, knowing there's not a way that we can earn it, that it, it, then it humbles us. It doesn't cause us to say, look at me, look, look at me. It, it humbles us to say, to say, look at God. It's not a result of our own work. It's that we would not boast. That's how God does it. That's what's communicated in verses 8 and 9. Not about us, not about our boasting, but instead that the gift would reflect the gift giver. You ever get caught kind of in, um, in the current moment? You ever get like, this, is, this world is so messy right now and so crazy we're just kind of caught in 2020 and it's hard to remember things that happened five years ago or 10 years ago i i found this uh in a in a book on my shelf on august 4th of 1872 sometimes i think it's good to just zoom out for some perspective so i'm gonna zoom out of 2020 for a minute i'm gonna zoom out of ephesians 2 8 and 9 and uh, we're gonna go all the way back to 1872 quick math tells me that's about all right, math students, that would be an estimate, about 150 years. And here's the text from a, a sermon that was given on that day. Every single blessing which we receive from God comes to us by the channel of free favor revealed to us in Christ Jesus our Lord. Boasting is excluded because deservings are excluded. Sounds a lot like what we're talking about, doesn't it? 150 years ago, Charles Spurgeon said these words in a pulpit in England. I think it's good for us to know that we're not just living this in a moment. The pastor didn't just go to school and learn this a few weeks ago, and all of a sudden this is brand new teaching. Like, no, this is the anchor of our faith. Every blessing which we receive from God comes by the channel of free favor. It's grace. It's free, and it should humble us. Well, this covers the first portion of the title. Trust. We have to trust in who God is. There's belief, and there's faith, and there's humility, and there's grace, and all those things are great. That is how we are saved. Now... Verse 10, if we really were going slow, verse 10 could be a sermon all by itself. It really could. Well, 8 or 9 could, too. <laughs> all right? They're really good stuff. But for your convenience and listening enjoyment, I have combined these into one sermon, three verses. But such great power. So let's look at the other side now. Let's look at why we are saved. You'll see that Ephesians 2.10 is up there as a reminder for you. We are Created for good works. We are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. Now, you may wonder, 
why is it that this is stated on the back side of the thing about faith? I told you earlier, we got to separate this out. We can't make the mistake of thinking that somehow our work is our own thing. If we are laboring for God, if we are challenged, we're going to get into some of that, then it's because God is doing it, and that's the purpose for which he created us. People don't create things to not work right. Now, if you had some clunker car that you hated, you might have thought that somebody created that car to not work right and to just the life out of your bank account, right? You may feel that way or some appliance that you have had repaired multiple times and you wonder, did anybody, did this, ever, did this thing ever work for anyone? Who made this? And you get frustrated because the thing isn't working. <laughs> the repairman keeps coming out. You, 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 if you're skilled in that area, you're doing it yourself and you're going more than once. Oh, and frustrating, right? No, this isn't the way God works for us. He created us for good works. Well, I want to connect this with our theme of this series. I want to connect this with our identity. This tells us that we as human beings are created in order that we would do good works. That challenges us to lay down our own sense that we can earn God's favor and to trust that he has a plan for us as a result of the salvation which is free through faith and humbles us and that we would work in pursuit excuse me we would not work in pursuit of salvation but we would work because of that truth we would work in response to it you ask the average person that doesn't have a relationship with Jesus, how do I get into heaven? And a lot of them are going to tell you something about being better than the next guy or doing enough good deeds to have finally earned that. We don't work in order to earn salvation. We work because we are saved and we work because God has a plan for our life. 2 Corinthians 8.5. This reference says, not as we expected, but they gave themselves, what, first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Establishing a relationship first in the Lord and then going to work with Paul. Second Thessalonians, to this end we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power. So you see... God's calling, you see the salvation, the relationship that they have, you see the relationship that God, by uh, power, would bring alive work through faith. These are just a couple of examples of how this works. We are saved, we are created for good works. It's a huge question. Did God really create me for this? Did he really create us to save us and use us in ways that are being revealed to us step by step that he, has, that he has planned. 
he had a purpose and, and he's working things out for us. Are we willing to walk in faith? Or are we the sum of a bunch of just really brilliant choices and great timing that we've made ourselves? Oh, I was in the right time and I heard that message and I, I responded. Boy, I was glad I was there. Whew. Boy, I'm glad I've been able to serve the Lord for this many weeks or this many months or this many years. I feel so great about myself. No, if we really believe that God has created us for good works and this is part of his purpose for saving us, then it helps us. We, we, we don't overestimate ourselves. If we really believe this, it affects my identity. I'm, I'm really less anxious. I'm much more trusting. I'm realistic about my abilities. And I'm not spending so much time comparing myself to the next guy or the next church or whatever it happens to be. We can be content with what God has done for us. And we can pursue the goal together because we're on the same team of people who are a part of God's plan. 1-5, predestined, adopted, chosen. Verse 7, redeemed. All those things about us as believers. That's who we really are. We're, we're identified that way and then we're created to be on the same team of doing good works because that's why God saved us and that we would fulfill his desires. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared, prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. To do otherwise would only shine the spotlight on ourselves. It really should challenge today our entire view of the world. It really should. This isn't just a doctrinal box that we check on a test and get right because we believe that teaching. No, this affects our view of the entire world. The things that we see going on. Crises, politics, division, all the things that may concern us. We can filter through passages like Ephesians 1 and Ephesians 2 and especially 8 through 10. Am I working in my life to fulfill God's desires? Am I trying to be obedient? Listen, if the answer to who are you is that I'm just somebody who's trying to get on God's good side. I'm hoping to get ahead of a few of those types of people or uh, somebody who's really trusted in God in faith that Jesus has died for us or has a plan, like chapter 1 says, then the answer to this is huge. I either really believe it's about me or I don't believe it's about me. If we walk in faith, these works, we should walk in them we should pursue them, God will change us. And more and more, we will be thrilled to be connected with him in our identity and growing in our faith. I want to say a word in case you, you feel like this sounds too rosy. I know this is difficult. Jesus challenged his disciples. He called them by name. Yeah? called them and brought them along and he was constantly challenging them take up your cross and follow me 
constantly challenging them. Count the cost of being a disciple. I don't want to say that walking in verse 10 is easy. It never will be. But there's beauty and joy in finding ourselves there, resting in the truth of who God is. We ask for his help. We believe in his promises. We walk in faith. Those are three very powerful words that can help to sum up. If you want to reduce it to two, let me try this. Trust and obey. When we begin to add ourselves into the equation is when we lose sight of God. Would be my hope and prayer today. Two things. Number one, that if you're hearing this and you've not committed in faith to God's promises that Jesus saves us because he died in our place, trust those promises today. Accept the free gift God has given and enter into those promises in faith. It's all a gift and God wants you there so you can serve him and find the joy of getting through the challenges and the difficulties that life may bring our way. For those of us who have heard this a time or two before, it is my prayer that this would be fresh and real and that our obedience in this season of our lives, this especially difficult season of our lives, that our obedience would bring us fresh passion and joy for who Jesus is, knowing that it's not up to us either to establish a relationship or to sustain it. God has a plan for our works, and he can use us if we would trust and obey.